Hey, welcome to Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I'm not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. I know all of us as dads, we want our kids to just march into the future and do bigger and better things than we have ever been able to do. But if our kids are going to make it into the future, it might be a good idea for you and I to understand how to better take care of them in regards to their health and wellness. So to help with that, I'm joined by Dr. Scott Grant. He's a pediatrician, and he is also the host of the podcast, Docs to Dads. He's going to help us with a few areas and give us what we as fathers really need to be focusing on to better help our kids with their health and wellness. Here we go. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being with me. I'm excited about this interview today. Thank you so much, Anthony, for having me on. I've been following your show for a while and really, really excited about what you're doing and and glad to be a part of it. Well, I appreciate that, uh, especially coming from you, because while you are a pediatrician, you also host a podcast yourself called Docs to Dads. Uh, Why don't you take just a moment and tell everyone about that one? Sure. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a a pediatrician, but I'm also a dad, which is uh, what got me passionate about sort of combining those two uh, passions into a project called Docs to Dads, uh, which is just sort of my take on a fatherhood podcast uh, related to parenting. I just, I really want to bring dads into the parenting conversation. I think they get left out of that conversation frequently, or, or at least sort of subliminally, they're not really thought about as much in the parenting conversation. And so I just want to kind of add my voice as a dad to that and speak to our generation of dads, which I think overall, like we want to be a part of what's happening in our families. We want to be engaged in our relationships with our wives and we want to be engaged in helping to raise our kids and run our our households. And we maybe or maybe not got experiences when we were younger that taught us how to do those things. And so I think I'm trying to bring a little bit of my sort of pediatrician expertise to like, this is what you need to know about your child's health to be confident and competent to take care of your kids uh, and and to be able to like take pride in, in your role as a dad and, and be an active and engaged dad. Yeah, I think that is just spot on what we need today. And that's that's part of the mission that I have with this podcast, Father in Our Future. I think of myself growing up, which granted, my father grew up without a dad. So I look back on that and I realized there wasn't too much that he could have really poured into me because he didn't have the example himself. But as far as the men that were around when I was growing up, they did a really good job at teaching boys how to become men, but that's where they stopped. They never taught us how to be husbands. They never taught us how to be fathers. And so while we have some good attributes that we've taken along with us as we've matured, we don't really know how to put those purposely into the role of fatherhood. And so that's one of the things that I'm focusing on. sounds like that's exactly what you're focusing on too. And the concept of fathering our future, you know, kids have to survive if we're not going to take care of their health and wellness and know what they're doing, then they're not going to be in the future anyway. So uh, it's very important that you're a part of this. But so you mentioned that you're a dad. Tell us a little bit about yourself outside of, you know, the professional career and what you're doing. How long have you been married? How many kids do you have? All that fun stuff. Sure. Yeah. So uh, my wife and I got married back in 2015. Let me make sure I get that right. So we'll be uh, <laughs> married eight years this year. <laughs> uh, we, got, we got married in October. So we'll be eight years in October. Okay. Uh, and then we have uh, three little ones now. So I have a, a, a boy that will be five um, in the summer, a girl that will be three in the summer, and then a seven-month-old little boy as well. So we've, we went boy, girl, boy um, Nice as, as we've gone through. And, and we're just so blessed by them. And I just, I love that so much. And I'd say becoming a dad really has changed the way 
that I think about being a pediatrician and the way that I sort of approach families in, in clinic. And it just has fundamentally changed the way really that I think about the universe, you know, that there's so many things, yeah. you know, we'll talk a little bit about the faith stuff too, but having a kid of your own really changes the way that you think about your own relationship with your dad, the way that you think about your relationship with our father in heaven, like the mm-hmm. idea, yeah, I guess I'll jump into this real quick. I didn't, <laughs> didn't intend to go, talk about this, but go ahead and I, I love okay. this. Like, you know, like holding my son, my, my oldest for the first time, like that first moment when I was a dad with, with a baby in my arms, it just kind of all hit me. I was like, this feeling that I'm having for this baby in my arms, this is how my dad felt about me when he, when he held me probably, you know, and, and I, w- I was lucky to have a really good dad who loved me very much and told me so. And then even more, so even, even for dads out there who maybe didn't have that experience, even more this way that I feel about my son in my arms, like this overwhelming sense of love, it doesn't even compare to the way that God feels about me as his son or the way that God feels about my son. Right. And so just like right. putting everything in, in perspective in that way, um, it just sort of changed. Like you're, you're not the same again after that, you know, once you kind of exactly. have that realization. And so, uh, you know, being a dad and, and being a part of my family and being actively involved in it informs the way that I think about everything else that I do in my life from the podcast to my career as a pediatrician and, and all these kinds of things. And so, uh, you know, it really is, you know, it should be, but it, and, and for me, I try very hard to keep it. The most important thing in my life is, is being a husband to my wife and a very close second one B is being a father to my children. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I, I share the transformation that happens. And I think that this is generally what happens to us as men, when we have children and we become dads, I say often that this is not some job that we take on. It's not what we get to do for the next 18 years and then we get to retire. It's who we transform into and our identity completely changes from just being husband to now being father. And I share in the sentiment of just the entire perspective being changed as become, when, 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 we, when we become fathers. So I've, I've been a big Bible buff all my life. I was involved in a program called Bible Quizzing for 10 years. So for 10 years of my life, I memorized four to 500 verses like every six months. It, th- that's how I grew up. But I love the Bible. But when I had kids and I went back and read it again, it's like a totally different book. You just see things in a different perspective. You you read the story of of the father and the prodigal son. You're like, holy yeah. smokes! Like that just hits home now because because yeah. I can understand that a little bit more. And then to think now I can understand how God views me by the way that I view my children. But for him, it's that much more than what I'm able to do, and it's a wonderful feeling. So yes. Being a dad totally. is just a complete transformation. It adds so much and changes so much at the perspective. And so I think it's interesting that you share that from the vantage point of, of being a pediatrician and all these things. You kind of alluded to, like, this was some of your inspiration. Was it just as a pediatrician and you wanted to start the podcast, was, was the podcast because you had kids and you realized my, my perspective has changed a little bit. I want to share this with other dads. Was that your inspiration? Sure. I, I think it, it's, it was like kind of an evolving thing. First, I want to I I jump back real quick to the point you were making yeah. about the prodigal son, because I think there's a lot of stories in the Bible that this applies to, but I think the prodigal son is a perfect example because I think growing up and even as a young man, and even after I got married, before I had kids, the characters in that story that I 
it was easy for me to sort of take the perspective of the prodigal son who left and, you know, threw his life away. And like, you know, we, we all sin and, and fall short of the glory of God. And, and like very easy for me to put myself in, in, in the perspective of the, of that character. It was easy for me to put myself in the perspective of the brother, right. Who's Mm -hmm. like, I've been here the whole time. I'm doing the best I can. And like, what about me? Right. Because we all have, have those feelings of, of doubt and those feelings of, of what about me. Right. So those perspectives were easy to take. It was always like, I don't know that I ever really tried that hard to take the perspective of, of the dad in the story. But as soon as I heard it for the first time, after I had a child of my own, it's like the easiest perspective to take. Now you're like, man, this is like, it's so easy to understand like how exactly everything that, that, that the father does in that story is so easy to understand once you're a father yourself, even if there were parts of it that I didn't really understand when I was a child myself, like trying to take on the perspective of different people in the story. So I think that's a, that's a perfect example of exactly the, like just fundamental shift in the way you think uh, after you become a father. And so I think that um, going, getting back to your question about, about the inspiration for the podcast, I think I had always thought a little Mm -hmm. bit about sort of wanting to, get the information out there. I think that I I've always been somebody who thinks that the medical community, and especially as I was going through medical school, we do a little too much gatekeeping on like health information and those kinds of things. And we, it's time to like democratize some of that a little bit because parents need that information and their pediatrician isn't always directly available for a phone call. And so I always kind of thought I, I didn't know exactly what it would look like, you know, growing up in Dallas, I remember listening to the radio. There was this like orthopedic surgeon who would have like a radio show on Saturday morning, uh, ESPN radio. And these like 40 somethings would call in about their ankle injury that they got playing basketball that weekend or whatever it was. I always thought it was kind of silly, but also kind of cool that this doctor like made time out of his day to like get that information like out of the clinic and out into the community and, and serve his community in a more broad way. And certainly there's like marketing and there's other benefits to like doing that. And I understand, uh, you know, the full scale of that now, but I always just thought even as a kid that like, that was a cool thing for somebody to do. And at that point it was on AM radio, but now like podcasting is the AM radio of our generation. And so mm-hmm. I always thought I wanted to do something like that. Um, and then once I became a dad and I started getting into some of these conversations with, with other dads and like learning about parenting and kind of seeing the way that that parenting landscape has evolved in the way that it's sort of primarily uh, focused on moms and that there's not really a lot of content out there for dads, although it's evolving with folks like, like you and I doing the work that we're doing, it kind of came into focus around this idea that there's a conversation that's not happening, or at least not happening as loudly as I think it should be having, that I have a credible voice to contribute to, both because I'm a dad, but also because I have some expertise in the medical field where I can actually share, like, this is what we would recommend if you came to us in clinic. And so that's the way that I think about my podcast is I sort of take a question uh, or two that has come to me. Sometimes it actually comes from my patients, but just that I answer frequently in the clinic and say, let me just get this information out there. Cause I answer this question three or four times a day, like here it is. That way somebody can, can be out there and, and find it. And that's kind of the way that things came into perspective as I was trying to figure out like what what specific idea do I want to be trying to put out there in the universe? And that's where it came from. Okay. Very cool. Well, I definitely want to give you an opportunity at the end of this to tell people how they can get a hold of you or reach out with their questions for your podcast and just 
hear more about what you're doing with Docs to Dad. So we definitely want to take care of that once we get to the end of the podcast. But so you 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 kind of alluded to a question that I was going to ask. Um, you're a dad. I'm a dad. You're. It's funny. You're basically one year behind me in everything. Uh, I got married in April of 2014, and my kids are six, four, and two. So uh, it's kind of funny. But that's great. I'm I'm curious if you think that being a dad and being a pediatrician as well kind of gives you a one up on the rest of us when it comes to dealing with your kids. Sure. I, th- I think there's pros and cons to that. I think okay. certainly there are things that uh, are easier for like when kids get sick, you know, I, I'm like an expert in taking care of sick kids. Like that's, that's kind <laughs> right. of my whole, that's my whole shtick. And, and kids so, always get sick. <laughs> and especially this winter, man, it's been bad. I, I actually did a whole episode of the podcast. Like this, some, this winter has been terrible. You're not crazy. Um, that's yeah. the title of the episode. So if that resonates <laughs> with you, you can go find that. But like this winter has been terrible. Um, and I receive so, it. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you're not crazy. So there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. We don't have to talk about right now, but yeah. um, so like when the kids get sick, I feel a lot more comfortable. Like I know, what medications to use and what doses to give and all those kinds of things because you you know all the medicines that you might have for your kids at home you go and you look at the box and you're like oh i wonder how much i should give my kid uh uh less than six ask your doctor okay great yeah. that's very helpful at 2 30 in the morning right? right and so that that's me like i can ask myself like mm, doctor what what dose should i give right so that's those are the places where it's where it's helpful i think um knowing a bit about uh you know, growth and development and sort of what are the stages that kids tend to go through uh, is another place that, that it's helpful for me. And, and um, so that's another thing that I try to talk to dads about frequently. Sometimes we have unfair expectations on our kids and those kinds of things. Uh, I think, sure. you know, the, the likelihood of like every little sneeze or every little headache is like, Oh, is that cancer? You know, like, you know, the like <laughs> weird random, you like know the weird random syndromes that your kids right. almost definitely don't have, but like, then they have this thing and you're like, is that, uh, it's probably, it's probably yeah. not right, but uh, maybe it is maybe. <laughs> so that's why you shouldn't be your own kid's pediatrician. I have like a, uh, a pediatrician that we love and respect very much that I take my kids to that way I can get like a third party opinion and I can bring sure. my, bring my concerns to her and she'll, she'll talk to me like I'm just a dad and that's exactly what I need when I take my kids in. So, uh, it's pros and cons. It, it's certainly very useful at, at two 30 in the morning when your kid spikes a fever, but, um, you yeah. know, to know like, do I need to go to the emergency room? Those, those are the kinds of questions that parents ask themselves and everything seems worse at two 30 in the morning than it does at two 30 in the afternoon. And so those are the kinds of questions that I, that I try to address, uh, on the podcast and, and other things as well. Let me ask you this, just off the cuff. So, and and talking about the, you know, it's two thirty in the morning. Should I take my kids to the emergency room? Do you find that that fathers are a little more lax when it comes to their children's health than the moms? So, I know, like in our household, if if one of the kids is throwing up or they have a fever, Lindsay's like, I think we got to take the kids to the hospital. I'm thinking this will pass. Like, just give it some time. Like, they're they're gonna they're not gonna die today. Like, it's gonna be okay. Is Am I like the typical dad in this scenario? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think that on okay. average, that's that's probably true. I think that, um, you know, dads, a lot of times we're also the ones who are thinking more about like the financial realities of the household and like, have we met our insurance <laughs> deductible yet? And those kinds of yeah. things. Um, and also, you know, we're the, we're the ones, you know, although I certainly I work in a 
you know, both my wife and I work. So both of us would have to go to work the next day, almost certainly, you know, but I think we're also the ones that are thinking like, man, if we're up all night in the hospital, like, what am I going to do about work tomorrow? Um, those yeah. kinds of things. And, and certainly there are a lot of moms out there that also have to worry about that. But, um, yeah, so I, I, but I think the, the key for me is just trying to help parents understand, like, what are the things that you would need to go to the emergency room for immediately? Or like, mm -hmm. how long can we let this run before we need to call our pediatrician or, or, or go in? And, and honestly, just anecdotally from my friends and, and my family members, like, those are the phone calls that I get, you know, like, that's sort of the perks of having a friend who's a pediatrician is, is sometimes they call me or text me. Yeah, they're like, hey, do I need to take this to the emergency room or can this wait until the morning? Those kinds of things. I, I think those kinds of questions are the really hard questions that parents don't always know what to do with. And then sometimes, you know, you hear, especially in the in the peds community or the healthcare community, we hear so much about like people who go to the emergency room who don't really need to go to the emergency room. But like, you don't know that. How can we expect? Yeah. How can we expect parents out there or even people for themselves to know when they need to go to the emergency room and when they don't? So I think we need to do a better job of of making sure that people know how to make those decisions to the best that we can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, whenever this episode has 1 million downloads, I'll be sure to release your phone number to the public so that everyone can just contact you at 2.30 in the morning and say, hey, Scott, my kid's got a fever. What do I do? What do uh, I we'll do? have fun with that. Exactly. So um, you're going to be a very popular man here in a little bit, but um, I want to take advantage of, of your expertise today and maybe level the playing field a little bit for the rest of us dads who are not pediatricians. Um, let me start first with a, with a montage of questions. So these will pertain to babies and things that I think every child deals with. And the first one that I have to ask you, I cannot be the only dad on social media who gets inundated with these vitamin ads for children. I, I see yeah. them constantly. It's like the only thing. It's like I want to go look at some oddball things on social media now just so I stop getting these like one ads. I don't talk about this. Now I'm going to talk about it and they're probably going to be everywhere. But these ads run and the whole thing is saying you need to get these vitamins and you need to stop using gummies because gummies are just evil, basically, and they're not good for your kids. And I'm thinking, look, we shop at Costco. They have a huge tub of these gummy vites for children. This yep. is what we buy. The kids love them. It can't be that bad. It's not going to kill them. But I'm not a pediatrician, so... As a pediatrician, is there anything wrong with vitamins for children that are gummies? The reason I know I'm strong today is because I had the chewable Flintstone vitamins. Those are the best. But for gummy bites, is there anything wrong with those? Yeah. Uh, I mean, is there anything wrong with them? No. I mean, I think the shortest answer to your question is there's nothing wrong okay. with gummy vitamins. There's a, there's a little bit here to unpack. I think the okay. biggest challenge with gummy vitamins is that it's really hard to get any like meaningful amount of iron content into a gummy as opposed to the the Flintstones, right? Which are that like chalky chewable. Um, yeah. So it's much easier to get a meaningful amount of iron into those. And there's a couple of other uh, sort of vitamins and minerals that are easier to get in that format. But obviously the kids love the gummies and they think they're candy. And so it's a little easier to get them to take those sometimes than the yes. like chalky Flintstone vitamins that, that we had. Um, yep. And so I'd say if you have a kid who you need to be sure they're getting enough iron and iron is a specific um, concern that, that your pediatrician has brought up or, or there's you know, a specific lack of, of things that kids actually generally don't eat, right? Like red meat and green leafy vegetables are like the two least common things that kids eat. And so it's a, it's pretty common for kids to, you know, 
just barely get by with how much iron they have. And iron deficiency anemia is a thing that we screen for, which is basically an effect on the blood from not having enough iron. So if that's something that you have a kid who's who's dealing with or has struggled with in the past, you might want to use something like a Flintstones where they actually have like uh, with iron uh, options, or you might even need to get to a point where you need like a prescription for an iron supplement, but that's a different conversation. So there's probably not okay. anything wrong with gummies. On the other side, there's a there's an argument to be made generally that like, are those worth the expense? You know, your kid is probably, even if your kid doesn't eat that variety of a diet, you know, they're probably eating enough generally to meet most of their daily needs for their vitamins. So could you cut that out completely? Also probably yes. Um, you know, so if that's a, an expense, you know, as you're doing your, your budget, if it seems like the, the vitamins are stretching your budget a little bit, like, could you cut that out and your kids would be fine? Probably. I would say the, the scenario that you're describing where there's an ad that says you should use some other kind of vitamin instead of a gummy vitamin feels a little questionable to me, unless there's some specific like iron or some other vitamin or mineral that is not in a gummy vitamin that they're getting into whatever, you know, I don't know if it's a, like a powder product that they're putting in a kid's drink or, you know, an, a chalky kind of vitamin, something like that. So there's a few considerations there. Probably the shortest answer is most kids probably don't need any kind of vitamins. If you're going to give it to them, that's certainly fine. Uh, if you're concerned about iron specifically, um, either because of dietary limitations or conversations with your pediatrician, then you probably need something that has vitamin in it, which or has iron in it, which is going to be like the the chalky um, kind of chewable vitamins. You can get iron in liquid too, but it tastes terrible. So most kids won't take, um, most kids won't take liquid iron very effectively. Um, so gotcha. in that case, the, the like Flintstone style gummies is, is the best one. I don't own stock in Flintstone gummies just to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish I did. Cause we had them all the time as kids. I was just like, these, these were candy for me. Um, I don't know. I was never into the gummy stuff. So I guess that's, that's why I'm as strong as I am. And I don't look that way, but I, I promise you, I'm really, I'm really tough. Um, but okay, that's, that's good to know. It's good to know the, the dietary side of that as well. My son is like a carnivore. He will eat meat exclusively. And my daughter Reagan in the middle is basically a vegetarian. Like she will dabble with meat, but she will eat a hundred blueberries in a sitting. And Jojo at the end of the, at the end of the line here, she, um, She's hit and miss. Sometimes she'll eat meat. Two nights ago, she ate two entire heads of roasted broccoli. So I, <laughs> I don't understand. Um, but occasionally, most of the times, as long as we remember, they're getting gummy vines. So I just yeah. need social media to hear that, that there's nothing wrong with these and stop giving me these stupid ads. Um, I'm sure we have right. the same Costco vitamins in our cupboard <laughs> downstairs. And those are the ones yep. that, that our kids uh, get when they get their vitamins too. Okay, perfect. Good to know. Now, now I feel better. I don't have to change our whole regimen or anything like that. Um, let me let me switch to this one because all of us have babies at some point if we have children, and this might make some dads whose kids are growing up a little resentful if there's actually anything to this. But um, babies cry, okay, yes. and babies cry for a reason. I think this is. I'm not a pediatrician, but here's just my theory. Babies cry because this is how they communicate. If there's something that's uncomfortable or they are hungry. They typically let us know, and their voice comes out as a screech when they are little. Mm -hmm. So there are some people, though, that you'll find online who are these baby whispering gurus, and they claim that there are ways to get your child to stop crying, that if you hold the baby a particular way or if you do this or you do that, 
doesn't matter what the problem is. Your baby will just stop crying. I think that's a bunch of nonsense, but I'm not the pediatrician. You are. So what do you think about that? Sure. I think the way that you captured this is exactly right. And I think it's the way that I try to frame it for parents who are struggling with this and myself when I'm struggling with it, right? Like nobody likes hearing their baby cry. Um, although I'll say going right. back to the question about perks of being a pediatrician, you know, I have spent a lot of time in my training being in rooms full of crying babies. So I've learned how to like ignore it. And like, it doesn't affect my brain the same way that it does wow. most other people. And so every once in a while, my wife will be like, you, you hear the baby crying, right? Why don't you go grab him? <laughs> you know, those <laughs> kinds of things. I just like, I like, have just, have gotten to the point where I could just shut it out. But anyway, that's a different, wow. different conversation, but it's a superpower. You're absolutely right that um, babies crying is the one and only way that they have to communicate. That's how they're they're going to tell you if there's something wrong or if there's something good or if there's something, you know, they're going to make squeaks and screeches. And especially when they're very little, like crying is the only sound they have. And then as they get older, you know, they start to make some other different sounds in, in different situations. And so the way that I usually start, you know, this conversation is like, they're just trying to tell you something and they don't have any other way to do that. So they're crying and they're going to continue telling you that thing. Right? It's just like our toddler who's like, dad, 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 right? Like they're just going to keep telling you until you figure it out, like whatever it is, you know, and hopefully our toddlers get to the point that they can, you know, tell us what it is. But for babies, right. you got to just check all the things. So like, is there some like harm, injury, danger that's happening to your baby that's making them cry is always sort of the first thing. Did they like roll off the couch? Did something fall on top of them? Did big brother or big sisters sit on top of them? Something like that. Right. And then you go through like the, the, the usual suspects, right? Like when was the last time this baby ate? Are they hungry? Do they need to eat? You know, when was the last time this baby had a, a diaper change? Are they angry? Like some babies are like really mad about having dirty diapers, you know, pee or poop. Um, and other babies are more tolerant of it. So you might just have a baby who's particularly sensitive and needs, you know, their diaper changed and they're going to tell you about that, right? You may have a baby who's really tired, especially if you have older kids that are running around making a lot of noise. They can't fall asleep. They want to go to bed. They, they're tired and they want to go to sleep. And so those are kind of the most common things. And so I would push back maybe a little bit, not knowing anything about these baby whispers that you uh, were talking about against this idea that there's like some magical thing that you can do that will like make your hungry baby, not hungry anymore, or your sure. poopy baby, not poopy anymore. Like at the end of the day, like if they're hungry, you got to feed them. If they're poopy, you got to change them. And like, maybe after that, there's some, some other thing to do. I think some of that is a little bit different, you know, different, you know, different babies respond differently to different kinds of movements. And so I, I would just say like, if you've checked all those things and everything's fine, then sometimes the thing that they're crying for is attention and connection, right? Like that's part of what we're trying to build in this first year of life in particular, and especially in those first few months, right? Is that connection there? They've been sort of inside mom's womb for all this time. And then they come out and they're like, whoa, what is this place? It's like cold and bright and like terrible compared to where I was before. And like, <laughs> I want to get back to like the warm snuggliness, right? And so like, they're going to cry out when they want that little bit of attention and you can't like spoil a baby. You just like you hold them and you love them and, and, right. and those kinds of things. And so different babies are going to soothe differently to like bouncing and rocking. And, you know, my oldest like wouldn't let me sit down with him while he was upset. So if I had to be up 
and walking around, which made me very tired. Thankfully, the the subsequent two, I could like sit in the rocking chair and we could rock or, you know, my yep. young, my middle one liked to bounce. So that was always the the thing. So I would hold her and I would just bounce her, bounce her, bounce her. Um, and, you know, that would get her to settle down. So you, know, you just have to like get to know your baby. But the only way to do that is to like hold your baby and, yep. and, you know, love on them a little bit. And if you can just sort of take that perspective of like, you know, you're trying to tell me something, I know it, but <laughs> what, yeah. what is it? Yeah, exactly. I think that's really good um, to kind of go down the list of, you know, maybe they're hungry, maybe their diaper is full. The one thing that was typically an issue for us is this, is if they had gas pains or something of that, you know, we're doing the little bicycle legs mm-hmm. or we're going back and forth. We try that. And usually that would uh, create some motion in the ocean and then we'd have to change the diaper. So that was always fun. Yeah. Uh, and then just the attention point, it's, I, I want to just, I want to just share the pain and agony that you had with your oldest, because with my oldest Frankie, uh, it was deep squats. I mean, it was like deep, rapid speed squats. That was the only way I could get him to calm down and uh, calm down enough to go rock in the rocking chair and then lay him down. Uh, he increased my vertical by like six inches. So that was, that was, that was a lot of fun. Thanks Frankie. Um, yeah. Thank you. All. Thank you for that, buddy. Uh, okay. So let me ask you this one kind of germane with the whole crying thing. Kids get older and they, be, they, you know, develop the ability to communicate a little bit better. But as they get older, they get bigger, they get taller, and they experience growing pains. And it happens frequently in my home uh, just because I'm not huge. I'm six foot, but I have people who are taller than me on my side of the family. My wife is the smallest of her three other siblings at 5'10". Everyone else, including her little sister, is six foot and above. So we have birthed giants, and they're going to be huge. And so they get growing pains often. And when they get growing pains, I think probably even as grown men, we can remember an instance in our life growing up where we had growing pains. It's not fun. It's traumatic. But is there anything that we can do as fathers to maybe mitigate the pain of growing pains for our children when they actually Mm -hmm. tell us this outside of just, you know, here's some ibuprofen or whatever it happens to be? Is there also anything that we can do if we suspect that maybe this will happen. Is there anything that we can do ahead of time as preventative care? Sure. Yeah. Growing pains is kind of a weird thing because it's certainly described frequently that, that kids who are sort of in these growth spurt ages will get these pains usually in their legs, usually at night or in the middle of the night. Um, And it's not always clear sort of what they come from, you know, if you do like a physics evaluation, you know, the, the argument or is that like, we never really grow fast enough that it should cause like actual stretching of the muscle fibers, but it's probably some combination of, of growth and remodeling. And then, you know, just use of the muscles, right? So like those kids are getting older and they're running and they're playing um, and those kinds of things. And so maybe they're, they're having those pains more after like particularly busy days where they're running around and those kinds of things. And maybe they're also going through a growth spurt. So there's some extra strain on the muscles or, or something like that. Um, it's almost always a muscle related issue more than uh, like concern with the bones or the tendons or any of those kinds of things. Um, and so there are some things, you know, it, it's not well studied. There's like, it's not consistent enough to really be able to like systematically evaluate it anyway. But just the things that we usually talk about are, Um, especially if you have a particularly busy day, making sure that you're like 
taking breaks and letting kids rest. Um, if you um, do like a warm bath in the evening to just like, uh, you know, just like you do if you were like having, you know, doing a big workout, you might like, you know, uh, you know, take a bath afterwards and, and like rest and, and recover. Most kids won't let you do an ice bath, but a warm bath sometimes you can get away with. Uh, and then uh, you can use like, you know, warm uh, like heat packs and those kinds of things if they're if they're particularly uncomfortable. And then every once in a while, a dose of of, of ibuprofen or, or uh, acetaminophen will not hurt if you find yourself um, in that situation, especially if it lets your kids sleep, which lets you sleep. Um, this is another thing that I feel like we gatekeep a little too much on. And like every once in a while, like your kid's just fussy and something doesn't feel good and they can't tell you exactly what it is. But like, just like when we have random headaches, like we'll take you know, we'll take some medicine and go to bed. Um, you know, like they might need something similar to that as well. So those are kind of the, the common sort of non-medication things that you can do. Um, but, but again, it, it is, it is a struggle. Um, and we don't really know enough about like where this pain comes from specifically to be able to like really say definitively how to, how to manage it. But some of those like more conservative things, the, the bath and the, and the heat compress, you know, those things tend to help sometimes as well. Okay. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. So as a non-pediatrician, I just always assumed the bone's growing really fast, but you actually make a lot of sense by saying what you said. Now, when I actually hear it and think about it, um, I, I think that also maybe gives some merit as to why, for example, when our kids have growing pains, you know, mommy can go in there and rub on their legs and it starts to soothe it relatively quick. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it's just the pressure and the heat that's kind of helping that because it's more muscle related than anything. I, uh, that's actually really helpful to know. Side note, I do want to ask this because you mentioned it um, just out of personal curiosity. You mentioned the warm bath in comparison to like the ice bath. Is one better than the other for muscles? Uh, I, I would say that this gets outside of my area of personal expertise okay. <laughs> um, fairly quickly. I can say okay. that um, there's probably a reason why, you know, all the professional sports folks, like after big, like after workouts, like after games, after practices, those kinds of things, they're going in an ice bath to like try to uh, cool off some of the, like the inflammation and the stress on, on the muscles. Um, and that seems to make intuitive sense to me, but I would, uh, I, I acknowledge that I don't know the like medical research data around that or the sports medicine uh, data around that, but it seems to make sense to me. Um, and then later, like not after uh, a hard workout, maybe you do something that's like more like relaxing to try to relax the muscles. And maybe in that situation, you'd use uh, a warm bath. That's sort of a a thing that makes sense to me theoretically, but I, okay. I couldn't say confidently that that's wh where the medical literature says. Okay. I wanted to get that from you because you can find anyone online who says anything that they want to say. And they're like, Oh, this is the only way to do it. You always, you know, just yeah. dump and dump yourself in ice water for five minutes and you'll be fine. It's just like, yeah, the I, ice bath just, thing has like really been, especially like on social media for men. I feel like it's like yeah. really become a thing in the last like three to five years for some reason, uh, this like dunking yourself in ice bath. I don't know exactly where it came from, but there's arguments to, to do it. And if you get so many minutes a week, I think this like the Huberman lab guy, I think started that. And I don't know. I mean, he's a, he's a legit scientist. So he, there, he might actually know that there's data to, to support that. I just don't know if that's true or not, but it's, it's really okay. become like a fad thing to do. 
uh, right. recently, and I, I haven't looked into it that much. Okay. I was just curious because I saw that it became trendy, and sometimes trends happen because people are ignorant. So I just thought I'd ask someone who would probably know a little bit more than myself. Um, okay. That's that's my montage of questions that, that I had to ask you. Let's we'll, we'll deal with some more cultural relevant things now. Um, as a pediatrician, you're constantly seeing kids, you're dealing with parents, and you are you're experiencing a lot of probably some of the same issues. Like you mentioned previously, the winter was so bad and you had a lot of consistency that you saw with the previous winter. But on a more grand scale, what do you think the the top health risk for our children is today? And what I mean by this is you have some people who say, you know, it's the processed food. You have some people who claim that it's too much screen time and, you know, everyone's got a reason. But from your perspective, working with children, working with parents constantly, what would you say the primary health risk for our children is today? I think speaking from a strictly medical perspective, uh, you have to think about, you know, so many of the biggest killers of adults, like the, you know, the, the reasons why people die are tied to uh, obesity and like sedentary lifestyle and um, those kinds of issues. So my uh, hunch would be, and, and the way that I talk about this uh, with families is, you know, to try to just develop those healthy habits. I think that those are the kinds of, of risks that we, um, put ourselves to as, as parents as well. Um, but also there are ways that we can um, help our, our children. And so I think that comes down to making healthy food habits to make sure that they're, you know, as much as possible, trying to get those, the fruits and vegetables with the, the vitamins and minerals that we're eating, you know, less processed foods to the extent that we can and trying to develop those healthy habits. I think probably even, even more than that, although certainly that's important and I don't want to minimize it. Like, just the like the physical activity and getting them into a habit of like get outside and run around and and play and I know for my kids and for me like all of us do better and we are, have better attitudes and our mental health is better and our physical health health is better when we can get outside and we run and play for a little while and we play together and so I think from a, a medical perspective it's really just about like trying to help our kids develop those healthy habits early on both in terms of like food choices, not to be overly limiting with the food choices, right? Like they can have cake at birthday parties and ice cream every once in a while. Like I, you know, those are my favorite foods. So I, I certainly yeah. can't, I can't tell people not to do those things. Right. But I, share that passion um, I think helping them learn how to make good decisions uh, related to their food and then helping them like see that we're going to try to live a more active lifestyle, which, it, you know, will necessarily uh, lend itself to you know, hopefully less screen time and those kinds of things. I don't know that the screens themselves are like the source of the problem so much as they're a symptom of a problem, right? Which is to say, one, that we're not outside, you know, or we're not playing with non-screen toys enough to like move our bodies. And then the other thing that screen time is a symptom of is, you know, connection with parents, right? So a lot of times, you know, and, and we all do this, right? Like I need to get dinner made. And so you guys are going to sit and watch Bluey for a minute while I make some dinner. And, and that is like fine in, in a moment. Uh, but when the screen time is replacing time that I should be plugged in with, with my kids, either my kids on a screen or me on a screen, uh, you know, that, that becomes a problem as well. And so I think those are, those are kind of the big things that I think about a lot because the, the relationships 
are so important, right? Like part of right. everything that we're talking about, everything that you're doing with your podcast, I'm doing with my podcast is oriented around trying to help dads have better, more meaningful relationships with their kids. And that's where we make the difference. So much of what we know about trauma and resilience and all of these kinds of things come around to, do you have relationships in your life that are meaningful? Do you have somebody that you can go to who will help you and support you when you're having your moments of trouble? Right. And so like, we want to be, you know, I, my goal is that every dad can be that for their kids. And so one thing that's a barrier to that is our kids being on screens too much or us being on screens too much. So I think all of those things play a role. Um, but, but it's just sort of about like establishing those habits and developing those good relationships. Got it. So it's not necessarily that it's just one main threat. It's almost a lifestyle that people can choose to live that can be threatening to the kid's health. Yeah. Um, so I, I recorded an episode last night. I don't know if it'll be out for people by the time this one actually gets published, but I was talking about our expectations of time and how it seems almost like today we are pre-programmed to just constantly be in a rush and everything has to be done fast because we feel like we have so much that we have to do and we have so little time to do it. And we are always just on the go, on the move. And our kids are not that way. Our kids value time in a totally different way than we do. We feel like we don't have enough of it. They can't get enough of it. Every second for them is just this new moment for their imagination to run wild or for them to explore and experiment to play. Uh, and at some point we kind of have to converge. And I think a disciplined lifestyle is how we ultimately get them to have a little more urgency about time, but we probably shouldn't be in the constant rush that we are. When I'm thinking about mistakes that that parents make when it comes to our kids' health and based off what you just talked about, whether or not it's, you know, the number one mistake, and maybe you can speak to that, but do you think one of the most threatening mistakes that we make as parents is always trying to hustle and do the next thing? And, you know, I've got to make dinner, but I also have to do this and I've got to do work. And that's one thing I try to be very careful about, you know, trying to do this podcast in addition to life every other day. It's, you know, I typically do my podcast at night when everyone's asleep and my wife is reading a book. And this is my time where I can break away and not need to be involved with my mm -hmm. children or Same. with my family. So Absolutely. Uh, do, you, do you think that that's a big mistake that is easy for us to make just because, you know, instant gratification, we want that to be our best friend. We want what we want when we want it. We just feel like we've always got to be on the go. Do you think that's something that as dads, as parents, that we just, we need to slow down and stop a little bit? Absolutely. Yes. I, 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 everything you just said resonated with me. I can't wait for that episode. I, I can't wait to listen to it. But uh, I, I would just say, I think that is one of the big mistakes that parents make in a couple of different contexts is this idea that like, we need to get everything taken care of right now. And we sort of lose the perspective of like, like you said, like our kids are with us for 18 years at least. And, and, you know, hopefully we have a, a great relationship that lasts much longer than that. But like our kids generally are going to live with us for about 18 years. Right. So you have like, there's some time to like slow down. And so like, I think, I think about this a lot. I, I just released an episode about like discipline and the way that we think about like undesirable behaviors in our kids. And I think sometimes we get so focused on like eradicating the behavior that we forget that what we're really supposed to be doing is teaching them why that behavior is undesirable, 
right? And like helping them understand right. like why this thing that they're doing, because generally kids, you know, kids do well when they can, just like the crying in the baby, undesirable behavior in older kids is almost always some sign of an unmet need. It They're doing it because it's giving them some relief. It's helping with their anxiety or it's getting our attention because they need us or there's some reason why they're doing that. And so just having them stop the behavior is not really the goal. The goal is to understand like, why is that behavior happening? And to teach them why, even if there's a problem, that behavior, that response is not the right solution, right? So my kid's at an age now where he like wants, he likes to play this game that we play sometimes where like, I have a problem, what's the solution? And so some of these are like silly and it's like, oh, I, I climbed a tree too high and I can't get back down. That's my problem. What's the solution? And I was like, oh, well, we could get a ladder and we could put it up against the tree and like, oh, well, what if I don't have a ladder? And you just kind of run through these scenarios, right? And so it's been useful then to take that and transplant it onto these moments where my son is having these undesirable behaviors. And I say like, okay, so your problem is that you want that toy that your sister has. What's the solution to that problem, right? And if we can kind of work through that, right? Like taking it away from her and like yanking it out of her hands is not a good solution, right? Melting down and crying all over the place is also not a good solution, right? So like, what are the good solutions to this problem? Anyway, yeah. all of that to say that like, if you're just focused on like, stop crying, or you're just focused on don't do that. Like you're, you're solving a, a problem in a moment, which might in that one moment be what you need because you have a million other things to do and you legitimately don't have time to, to do other things like that. But I think we say that's the case much more often than it is the case. And more often we should slow down. Right. And we should try to like teach our kids in that moment. Like what, what are we trying, where are we trying to get to? What are we trying to do here? And if we can do that, then we're not just the other benefit of that for us as parents is that it's not just like, no, 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 constantly. We're actually trying to aspire to something, right? And I think this resonates particularly with, uh, you know, the, the Christian, the faith, uh, you know, faithful people who, who are aspiring to uh, live out some sort of faith life, right? Because it's not just that we're, you know, we don't take toys away from our sister, right? It's that we share. And that comes from a sense of justice. That comes from a sense of kindness, right? Um, it's not just that I want you to go clean up the the toys in the room. It's that like we as a family are trying to keep our home clean. And that comes from our value of cleanliness. That comes from our value of helpfulness. And so it's not just, no, don't do that. It's actually like we're aspiring together as a family to live up to this core value that we, we're trying to profess. And in order for you to do that, these are the ways that you can be helpful. Right. And so, yeah, s slowing down, like you can't do that in the moment when you're like frustrated and you're angry. So you have to like keep control of your own emotions. You got to pull yourself back under control and then you got to like slow it down a little bit. And like, right. That's fresh on my mind. Cause I just, I just re recorded that episode myself, but I think that applies to all the other things too. Like how often do we like take our kids to the park and then like they're running and playing and it's like good to give them independence. But like, then I'm whipping out my phone and I'm saying like, did I get any emails from work or like what else is going on where like what my daughter really wants is for me to like put my phone away and come push her on the swing because nobody else is going to like, that's me. That's my job yeah. as dad is to go and push her on the swing. And if we're at the right. park, it's almost mean for me to take her to the park and then not push her on the swing. Cause I'm busy on my phone. Right. So right. I think it, it speaks to intentionality of, of moments. Like you said, like setting aside time, 
like right now I'm here with you and I have other people who are, you know, my, my oldest is at school and our, our younger two are being cared for and my wife's at work. And so this is my moment right now to be here with you recording this podcast. Right. And then once yep. we're done, I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to make sure that my, my daughter has lunch and I'm going to be there in the moment with her. And, and that's a big piece of like being intentional. And then in the evening, we're going to try to put our kids to bed if they'll go to bed. And then I'm going to have 20 minutes probably before one of them wakes up again to like spend intentionally with my wife. Right. And if like yep. we can be, be where you are and then set aside time to, to do all of the things that are important to you. But when we try to blend them and do them all together at the same time, nothing gets done well. And I think right. that's one of the challenges that we run into. So if you want to be an intentional dad, like be intentional in, in the moment, both when you're at work, but also when you're with your kids, like you got to be able to put that, put that away for a little while. Right. 100%. There's so much I would love to say based off what you said, and I'm going to do my best to stay on topic of what we're, what we're trying to accomplish here. But um, just the, the intentionality and, you know, not mixing up the priorities. I think it's really important for us to, to keep in mind, you know, our values and our priorities as, as dads, especially as dads of faith, you know, at the top of the chain, we've got God, then we've got our marriage and we've got our family. And like, those are, are the, those are the main priorities. So all the other little stuff that we want to do, they have to come after time with our children, time with our wife, time with God. We've got to make, and if, if we'll live, truly live a valued life like that with our priorities in place, I think we do a lot better not being in a constant rush and not getting caught in the, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. I love what you said about your son and about discipline, just recording the episode. I know how it goes when you just do something and it's on your heart because you've been thinking about it before you actually record it. And then it just kind of resonates after, but I had a, I had an instant yesterday with my son. He did something that his mother and I have talked to him about very seriously that you know, won't go into the details of what it was. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I try and do a really good job with discipline. And the thing that irks me about discipline is that for so many people, discipline with children it gets boiled down to the debate and the question of, do I spank my kids or do I not spank my kids? And discipline is so much bigger than that because as mm -hmm. fathers of faith, we are disciples and we are trying to raise other disciples for purpose, just like you talked about. Like, it's not just mm -hmm. that I want you to do this. It's like, you know, we, we value justice and we value being stewards of the things that we have. And we have values that we live by. We have a faith that guides us and gives us purpose. And this is why we're doing things. So we're not just saying, don't do this, don't do that. We're saying we do this because of this. Um, but I had this, had this moment with my son. And one thing that I highly recommend when you are disciplining your child is you speak, but when you're done speaking, you always give your kid the opportunity. If they're able to have a conversation, always give them the floor. I asked my son, I said, is there anything that you need to ask me? Is there anything that you'd like to say? And the conversation took a little bit of a turn. And he said, dad, I just think, I just think that when you get onto me and you have these serious talks that you don't like me. And so I took mm -hmm. this as an opportunity. I didn't take this as like, you know, how dare you say that? I thought, okay, this is an opportunity for me to teach him. So kind of like with your problem and solution type scenario, I do this with my son. I, I, I walked him down this path of, you know, why do we not want you to do what you just did? And he'll say, you know, because of this. And, and so why is that important? And he can follow the, the train pretty well. And we got to the point and it's like, so Frankie, why would I want you to grow up and have the best life that you can have and not get into trouble because you've continued this pattern? 
And he said, he said, because you like me. I said, it's a little bit more than that. I said, it's because I love you. And, you know, we got through this conversation and I asked him one more time. I said, Franklin, is there anything else that you'd like to say? He said, daddy, he's like, I think I really understand now. And that was just like, when <laughs> yeah. dad on the inside, it was just like, I did it like this. This yeah. was successful. Um, it's so critical and important, though, that 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 we are just intentional about discipline and that we that we will take the time for those moments. I mean, maybe I took 10 minutes with him, yep. but those 10 minutes are formidable. Those 10 minutes are going to be a memory for him. And now he's he's done the work to walk through this line of questioning to where dad's trying to help me. Dad loves right. me. Like yep. th th there's a reason for this. And so um, what you said just hit home because that's exactly what happened yesterday. Um, so I think, I, th yeah. I think, I think that's good that uh, in, in dealing with, you know, a primary health risk for our children, that it's about developing a lifestyle where we are, we are concerned about our, our diet, what we're eating. We are concerned about being intentional about getting out and playing. We're intentional about having time together where we are bonding and we're building that relationship where we're communicating with our kids and being involved in what they're doing and that carrying over to, you know, just avoiding the rush and, and making this big mistake. Um, I, I think that's really important. I had, I had some other questions that I wanted to ask. I, I, I will ask this one because you alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, but kind of what you can fall into the trap of too, you mentioned as this being the con is you, you know, all of these diseases and you know, all of these, you know, rare illnesses that a child can potentially uh, get, but we have a lot of parents today. I have never been this type of person, but I know people who anytime they stub their toe and feel like they have a headache, they go to WebMD and then they think they have a rare disease that one in 300 million people get. And it's, right. it's never the case. Um, are there good resources, whether it's a website or something available online where, where dads, parents can go and actually get some good, maybe simple and credible information for their kids whenever they have questions? Sure. I, I think in, it's hard. You know, so much of this is hard because it, it has to be put in, in context that it's not even fair to ask parents to have, right? Because even, you know, some of these rare, con I mean, there's some, some things that are so rare that I've never seen them, but some of these rare conditions I've seen, you know, three, four, five times. So at least I have some experience with them. And so it becomes pretty clear to me fairly, obviously like this, this might be that, or there's no way this could possibly be that. And so if you're just Googling symptoms, you don't have that background ability. And so I think that, you know, there are good websites for like sort of general questions, you know, the, the American Academy of Pediatrics has a website called healthychildren.org where they have like little articles about a variety of things. You know, some of the information I was talking about related to uh, growing pains is came mm -hmm. from the growing pains page from healthychildren.org. That's always a good resource that we go to when we need like handouts for parents on particular diagnoses uh, and those okay. kinds of things. And then I, I think there's more and more like experienced clinicians that are trying to put good information out into the ecosystem. That's what I'm trying to do uh, with Docs to Dads. There's another uh, pediatrician uh, that I know who lives in Nebraska uh, named Dr. Phil Boucher, who puts out a lot of really great content about a variety of different uh, topics. There's, you know, all kinds of folks. And, and I know you can't trust everything that you see, 
you know, on social media for sure. But there are definitely some folks out there if you can find, you know, connections to somebody who has like legitimate credentials and is trying to put out good parenting content, good uh, child health content. Um, and then a lot of us are, are very open to, you know, I get direct messages from people through uh, social media uh, or emails about different topics that people want to see episodes about, or they have specific questions about, you know, their, their child. And obviously a, a lot of times we're limited because we can't give specific health advice because we're limited by our licensing and all of those kinds of things, but we can sort of give general information. And I think it just, I would just underscore that like having a good relationship with your own pediatrician and finding a pediatrician that you trust and that you can go to. I know sometimes it can be hard to get in with your pediatrician. It can be hard to get FaceTime with pediatricians because of the way our healthcare system is run. And that's like a, another hour long conversation that we, we don't want to have on this particular <laughs> podcast, but uh, you know, there, there's challenges and I, I don't want to make this sound overly rosy, but I think it is important for parents to have a healthcare provider that they trust that they can go to with questions, even questions that they're like, ah, this might be a stupid question. Like, you know, that's what I, that's what I do all day is just answer people's questions. And it's not stupid if it's about your kid. Um, and sure. so if you can do that, and, and even I have questions about my kids, like I should know the answer to this question, but my dad brain and my pediatrician brain, like will not connect on this issue. And I like, cannot convince myself that this isn't going on. Right. And so, yeah. you know, there, there are good resources out there, um, both on, on like traditional websites, as well as, as social media. Um, but it's hard to find. And so having that person that's close to home that you can trust uh, is is really important. And then you can always like they can send you some resources. They can answer some of those some of those questions, like never be afraid to reach out to your own pediatrician. And if you feel like you can't, um, then maybe maybe find a different person. You know, like we're all all pediatricians are different people with different personalities. And some of us, you know, click better with certain parents than than others. And so it's just important as a parent to find somebody that you trust and that you can go to when you, when you have questions. Okay. Good advice. Make sure you got a good pediatrician, check out healthychildren.org. And then the last thing is checking out docs to dad. And I want you to give all the details on how people can get a hold of you, how they can get a hold of that. But I want to ask you the legacy question mm. before we get to that. And that is whether it's health related or not, what's What's the one piece of advice that you would like to give to dads today? Oh, I, I, everything I do is giving advice to dads. So I, I, <laughs> I have to like figure out, um, and, and most of it comes from mistakes that I've made along the way. And now I'm learning mm -hmm. from, from that, or I've learned from, from others. So I certainly don't want to pretend to be any kind of bastion of knowledge here. It's just like, I've, I've fallen over so many times that I've learned how to try to stay upright a little bit more often. Sure. Um, I think we talked already about like putting your phone away. I'd, I'd say like for me, one of the things that's changed my relationship with my kids um, is in the evening, I have a like a block on the notifications of my phone. So I don't get any notifications from any apps on my phone between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. every night. And that 8 p.m. is around the time that my kids are sort of reliably uh, in bed. And 6 p.m. Is, is usually around the time that we're starting to try to sit down for, for dinner. So from 6 to 8 p.m. Yeah. every night, I get no notifications on my phone. And so that has been a game changer because I'm not like constantly getting little alerts that I need to look at, which are usually like at that point, it's like sports scores and other things that are like not remotely important compared to spending time sure. with my family. Um, and so I, th I think that that's um, one trick that has worked for for me effectively and then i think the other big one and this is like to plug a little bit we're gonna we're sort of doing a, a podcast swap here but is 
finding a community of dads that you can talk to when challenges come up, when you need help, when these issues, you know, and, and if it can be somebody that's got a little bit more experience with you uh, than you, that's helpful. Um, if you can find a community of dads, I'm really blessed where I'm at right now to have like five or six dads that all kind of have kids around the same age as mine. Some of them started a little earlier. Some of them, well, nobody started later than us because we still have a, an infant, but um you know, some of them have fewer kids than us, I guess I should say, yeah. uh, but they're all kind of around the same age. We're all kind of living in about the same season. And so it's really useful for us to get together periodically and just kind of talk about how things are are going and how, you know, how great our kids are and how blessed we are by them. And and certainly we talk about some of the, the challenges and struggles that come up and, you know, we're all facing the same challenges, like whatever issue you're having with your kids, you're not the only one having that issue. Somebody else has has dealt with that or is actively dealing with it. And so uh, talking about it can be, can be really helpful and not in like a, a venting, you know, complaining way, but just like in a, like I legitimately am trying to do better and I need some advice. And one of my favorite uh, quotes, I need to figure out actually who said this or, or like where it came from exactly, but it kind of speaks to this issue is like a, a joy shared is a joy doubled and a burden shared is a burden cut in half. And I just like that resonates with me so much with yeah. the idea of like having a community because when awesome things happen and you have somebody that you can run to and, and hopefully, you know, your wife is this person. But if you have a, you know, a band of brothers that you can go and share like this awesome thing that happened to you, like that's amazing. And then when when tragedy strikes, which it's going to at some point in your life, something terrible is going to happen. It happens to all of us to one degree or another. And when you can be like when you have a community around you that can support you and can like help lift you up in those moments, like that's what you need, you know? And so I think sometimes as men, we try to like do it alone because we're tough and we can do it by ourselves and we don't, we don't yep. need help and we don't, we don't need any of that. Um, and we're going to talk about this more when you come on my podcast soon. Um, but, yep. uh, you know, I think that's a trap that we fall into. And so I think the advice that most dads need to hear most is like, it's a, not only is it okay to to find a band of brothers to do this with, but it is imperative that you do it, especially if you're trying to live out a faith life as well. Like you, yes. you just have to have it. And if you, right. if you don't have it now, put yourself out there. It takes a little vulnerability, but like find somebody that you can, that you can share life with outside of, outside of your home and outside of yourself. Yep, absolutely. And being vulnerable to get out there. My wife shared something just the other day. They were having this discussion at work about, you know, having a best friend at, at work. And some people thought, well, this is a dumb topic to talk about. My wife, you know, felt differently about it. She said, my previous boss here where she works told me and advised me to find other people kind of on my same level here at the organization and ask them to go get coffee. And she did that with three of the other women there. And those are three of our best friends now. And it all started with, hey, would you like to go for a walk and go grab a cup of coffee? So jumping out there, if you don't have friends, just trying to present yourself friendly, that's almost, that's really the secret to it. It's really, it's really not that hard. Um, but community and I love what you said about the phone. Just, you know, if you've got an iPhone, I know you can set that and mm -hmm. you can just say, I don't want anything from six to eight. This is when I'm away. This is when everything is silenced. I think that is great in having that intentional time with your kids. Wonderful advice. Scott, this has been a fantastic interview. I've been, uh, I have been enriched by everything that you have shared, but I want people to have the opportunity to experience this on more of a 
recurring basis with your podcast. So tell us a little bit about Docs to Dad, where they can find you, how they can listen, how they can contact you for through for the podcast sake. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the podcast is called Docs to Dads, D-O-C-S, the number two dads. Uh, and it's available on all of your favorite podcast players, wherever you listen to your podcast. It should be there if you search for that. Um, you can also go to www.docs2dads.com uh, where we have all of our podcast episodes. I have a couple of blog posts. That's like my next area of growth that I'm trying to like start doing that. I have a newsletter um, that I try to send out. I was really good about it for a while and I, I haven't been as good about it lately, but I try to do that um, at least every other week. Um, so I'd, I'd love to have more um, subscribers to that just to keep the conversation going about different topics that we talk about uh, on the podcast. Uh, you can follow the show on uh, Facebook or Instagram at docs to dads pod. So D-O-C-S, the number two dads pod, P-O-D um, there. Uh, and then I'm also really active on LinkedIn. That's one of my favorite um places to connect with dads. There's a lot of dads over on LinkedIn. So um, if you're out there and you're on LinkedIn, come find me, just search my name, uh, Scott Grant, uh, and you'll find me and um, that's good. And then you can email me at docs to dads pod at gmail.com. And I'd love to get emails. I usually will use those either as uh, ideas for uh, podcast episodes, or I'll answer questions in the newsletter that I send out or, or something like that. So I'm um, really happy to connect with as many people as I can. I'm just trying to help as many dads uh, out there as I can. Awesome. So docs to dads.com docs to dads, wherever you happen to listen to podcasts, docs to dads pod on Facebook and on Instagram and just search for you on LinkedIn and they can get all the content, all the information. That'll be everything you need. Connect with me. I'd awesome. love to hear from you. Awesome. Yes. And I would say definitely connect to Scott with his podcast. He's going to give you a lot more than I'm going to be able to give you because he's got a totally different expertise. And I, I love this. I, I love that you and other people are getting on board and having a podcast and having a voice about fatherhood. Because for me, this is not a competition. <laughs> this is not a, I have to be the biggest and the best podcast. This is a, the more the merrier, just echoing what you said about community. When we come together and we when we do this together with a shared purpose, that's when we make the most progress. So Scott, I'm so happy that you joined me today, that you shared everything that you shared. And I hope people will give you a visit at Docs to Dads and keep learning how they can improve their child's health and well-being. And I wish you all the best, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I really had a great time. Well, if you're anything like myself, a dad who is not a pediatrician, I think you can agree that the information that Scott shared on the podcast today was tremendously insightful and super helpful, but I want us to focus on the key takeaway. As much as I hope that those pesky children vitamin ads stop showing up on my Facebook feed, we're going to refocus ourselves on the main takeaway of this interview. One of the greatest things that we can do for our children's health and wellness is being involved and being intentional. When you take your children to the park, this is not an opportunity for you to get work done while they're preoccupied. This is an opportunity for you to play with them. Take the time that you have with them and enjoy it. Swing them, push them on the swing, run around with them, climb up on the play sets, go down the slides. You might get stuck. That's okay. Be involved, be intentional, and have fun because as you are involved in what your kids are doing in this physical fun that you're getting to have, you are setting an example and you are creating a routine 
that your children will choose to follow for the rest of their lives. And that is the greatest thing that you can do for their health and for their wellness is setting that example, giving them a visual of what it looks like to be healthy, to be happy, and to take care of yourself. So take that away today. Be involved and be intentional. This is Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift. Thank you so much for being with me, and I hope you will join me next time.